Oh, you lingles for that. That was beautiful. Don't those kids, don't they all look great? They look great. I love that. All dressed up for Christmas. Take your Bible, please. Turn with me to 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 10. 1 Samuel chapter 10. This likely will be the first in several messages that I'll be giving on Sunday nights. Now, understand the next two Sunday nights we don't have church, so there'll be a little break in this, but I wanted to kind of introduce my subject matter to you. I was doing something, serving uh, in a capacity in another place where I was dealing with an issue some time back, and uh, <coughs> the issue, as I saw it, had to do with an issue of control. Control. I told my Sunday school class I'd be teaching on this tonight. The problematic nature of malignant control. And I was thinking about this, as I, and I've thought about this probably now for the better part of a month, maybe, maybe even more than that. And as I was thinking about this topic, I started to do some preliminary reading in the area of control. Because how many of you would say, Pastor Marty, in, in my life I've known a controlling personality? Anyone? Anyone? Okay. So, of course, in my mind I'm thinking about the topic. And I'm thinking in the Bible, what Bible character, because I love to do character studies, what Bible character would exemplify what I would call a malignant or a negative sort of control? And right away came to my mind King Saul. Now, King Saul is an interesting character. By the way, many, if you were to Google search about King Saul and uh, psychological examinations of King Saul, psychologists from the pages of the Bible, I'm talking about secular people, have done uh, thousands and thousands of pages of work in regard to the personality of King Saul, who he was and what he was like. One of the things that is certain, though, is that King Saul was a controlling individual. That did not, was not always the truth of him, but he became that way when he came under greater pressure. We're going to talk about that a little bit. So, <clears throat> as I was doing preliminary reading, both in the Bible and in some other material that I had, and taking notes and jotting all this down, getting ready to bring uh, maybe a, a couple, three series message on the topic of control. As I was doing that, I, I got a little bit convicted. And so I asked Kelly a question. Now, gentlemen, <clears throat> it's a two-edged sword, two-edged sword. I, I'd been reading about this, and I said, Kelly, I said, I want you to answer me honestly. <laughs> that makes it even worse. I said, I want you to answer me honestly. I said, am I a controlling person? I, I, I wanted to know, because the, the problem with people who are controlling is they'll never recognize it in a million years. They don't see it, okay? It's part and parcel of who they are, and they don't necessarily see it. So I said, <clears throat> I said, Kelly, I said, am I a controlling person? And do you know what she said? She said, you used to be. That was very diplomatic. It was very honest. She said, you used to be. And I said, give, give me some examples. And she gave, oh boy, whew, that was like, open wide the floodgates. I said, give me some examples. And she gave me some examples of where very early on in our life, I was rather a controlling person. I've told you, I won't belabor you, but I've told you the story about how I took the, I took the vacuum cleaner out of the hand of one of our assistant pastors early on. 
and showed him how to vacuum because he didn't have the, he wasn't putting the V stripes into the carpet like I like it to be. And, uh, and that was, by the way, that was, very, that was a very controlling move. There was a time in my life, and I think maybe part of that came from my training at the Citadel of Fundamentalism, Bob Jones University. Part of it came from that, some of you are nodding your heads, part of that, uh, that the, the impression was given to pastors that if they don't control every minutia of someone's life, including their spouse, that somehow it's all going to go off the rails and fall apart. Well, that can become in the minds and personalities of some a very negative and malignant thing that can actually multiply over time to create in a person um, an unbearableness to be around. People don't want to be around that. (laughs) And it can also, frankly, wreak havoc in a family. So I want to look at something uh, in in, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 9. It's a long chapter. We won't read that. But essentially, the Lord tells the prophet Samuel that Saul is his choice. Israel was not ready for a king, but Israel insisted upon a king. And so the Lord said, okay, this fellow Saul is going to be my choice. Now look at chapter 10, verse number 1. The Bible says, Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him, in other words, Saul, and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? When thou art departed from me today, then shalt thou find two men by Rachel's sepulcher in the border of Benjamin at Zilzah, and they will say unto thee, The asses which thou wentest to seek are found, and lo, thy father hath left the care of the asses, and sorroweth for you, saying, What shall I do for my son? Then thou shalt go on forward from thence, and thou shalt come to the plain of Tabor, and there shall meet with thee men going up to God to Bethel, one carrying three kids, so that would be little baby goats, and another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a bottle of wine. And they will salute thee and give thee two loaves of bread, which thou shalt receive of their hands. After that thou shalt come to the hill of God, where the garrison of the Philistines, and it shall come to pass, when thou art come thither to the city, that thou shalt meet a company of prophets. Now, so the prophet Samuel is giving all of this very specific instruction to Saul. Some of the detail, I think, was to assure Saul that the act of his anointing, this was his private anointing, David had the same thing, you'll recall, that the act of his anointing was legitimate because these little indicators along Saul's journey would be fulfilled exactly as the prophet said. And when you come to meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place with a psaltery and a a tabret and a pipe and a harp before them, and they shall prophesy. Now look at verse number six. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them. Note the next words. And thou shalt be turned into another man. So, Pastor Monty, what is that talking about? It is speaking about the oil anointing that Samuel placed upon Saul, which was a mark of his being king, but then of the Holy Spirit coming upon Saul in order for Saul to carry out his duties as king. Now, I want to be clear about something. In the Old Testament time, the Spirit of God did not indwell believers as he indwells us today, okay? Every person in this room who's a Christian, the Bible says the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But in the Old Testament, rather than indwelling believers, the Holy Spirit would come upon people 
uh, for certain activities, okay, for certain assignments that they would have. For example, those who were <coughs> putting together the tabernacle, they were especially filled with the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit came upon them that would increase their skill level in the building of the tabernacle. There are many, many examples of this in the Old Testament. Here is one where Saul is now anointed with oil, which is symbolic of the Holy Spirit and symbolic of his kingship. And now the Holy Spirit comes in his presence upon Saul in order to empower him. And in the early days of Saul's kingdom, all was well. Saul was prospering, things were going well. But by the time we reach chapter 15, and that's where we're going to be for a moment, by the time we reach chapter 15, some things had changed. Saul's personality had begun to change, perhaps under the pressure of his newfound responsibilities as king, but also because Saul became intent upon controlling everything, intent upon that. And so by the time we get down to chapter 15, verse 17, Samuel draws a distinction. He says to Saul, when thou wast little in thine own sight, in other words, humble, thou, and, uh, pardon me, was little in thine own sight, was not thou made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? Samuel's recalling a moment of time in humility that is in contrast to what we're about to see in chapter 15. And in chapter 15, this is only one chapter example of a man who had become obsessed by control. And his obsession by control led him to do some things that violated scripture and ultimately cost his family the kingdom. Now I want to make some preliminary observations, and this will be introductory to maybe a two or three part (coughs) message series on this topic. And I want to talk about this. How does a person go from little or humble in his own sight to someone who wants to control everything around him? How does that happen? I want you to listen carefully. I think that there are three steps, and all three steps are legitimate unless they are taken out of proportion. They're blown up out of proportion. Step number one is concern or care. You can call it concern or care. Every controlling person I've ever known has cared deeply about something. Now, some of them who are particularly narcissistic in their outlook, they care mainly about themselves. That's hugely problematic. But every person I've known that was controlling in their personality cared about something. For example, it is appropriate for all of us, for parents, every parent in this room, to care about your kids. That is important. There should be a level of care. If there is not a level of care, they will be little ragamuffins. You don't want that. There, There should be a level of care. However... There are some who take the level of care too far and they become what we now call helicopter parents. Have you heard the words helicopter parents? Yeah, Uh, where the kids have absolutely no freedom. But care is a good thing. Care often graduates to control. Now I wanna be very careful here because not all control is bad. Did you hear what I just said? Be, be very clear here. This is not a, a, a polemic against the idea of control. Not all control is bad. So when I care about someone, I will fence them in in a protective fence, if we're talking about a relationship. I'll, I'll build a protective fence around them. By the way, as a husband and as a father, my care 
promotes me to want to control things. For example, when my children were little, <clears throat> we didn't allow them to play with guns. Now, we have guns in our house like any good Christian does. We had guns in our, <laughs> that was a, kind of a joke, but really it's kind of true. We had guns in our house, but we did not let the kids play with the guns. Well, Pastor Monty, that's draconian control. No, no, no. My concern for them kept them away from firearms. If you have firearms in your home, they ought to be locked up, they ought to be put up, they ought to be out of the reach of little hands, okay? It's really important, that's just common sense. That would, that would be considered, that level of control would be considered normative because <clears throat> it, is a, it is concern. So my concern graduated in that area and many, many others to the area of control. That is a positive control. But when control goes off the rail into controlling every detail, we're using the home as an illustration, so I'll keep doing that, every detail of a child's life that is actually very detrimental to the child. It is very detrimental because it is crippling, the child can never grow. So for example, you go out to McDonald's, which is bad for you, but, and the meat's gross, but you go out to McDonald's and, and uh, you, you order, you don't give the kids a choice. Now they shouldn't choose the most expensive thing on the menu. And by the way, hasn't it gotten crazy? McDonald's? And we all know it's garbage and they charge an arm and a leg for it now. But uh, we, we maybe say the children's menu, they could choose this, this, or this. Let them choose. I think that's reason. You've given the control, the paradigm being the children's menu, and then you've said, okay, you can choose from this. I think that's reasonable. But concern and control can both be very good, but when control goes off the rails, the child cannot make any decisions for himself or herself. That continues as they grow up, listen carefully, so that any individuality is squelched. Well, you say, Pastor Monty, people don't really do that. Oh, yes, they do. And in fact, the most controlling of people, and I, you, this is just all preliminary. I'll never get through what I want to say tonight. But the most controlling of people are the people who create an imaginary spouse or an imaginary child, listen carefully, and they expect that child to live up to their vision or their imagination. And whenever the child fails to do so, they take personal hurt and offense by that. I'll use an illustration in a book that I was reading the other day because I think it's very apt. How many of you, when you were little, had a teddy bear? Like five of you? What did the rest of you have? Okay, if, uh, uh, something like a teddy bear, okay? If you, if you have a teddy, did you have one of those Raggedy Ann and Andy dolls? How many had those? Oh, good, okay, good. There's some more normal people raising their hands, okay. How many had a Cabbage Patch doll? That's just weird, Tiffany, but okay. Uh, so, so <clears throat> and what do children do with a teddy bear? With a teddy bear, they, they kind of make an imaginary friend, right? And the teddy bear is the ideal friend. Do you know why the teddy bear is ideal? The teddy bear always agrees with me. Always, never challenges, always agrees with me. The, the teddy bear <clears throat> is always there for me, regardless of whether I ignore it for three weeks or not. When I come back to it, that teddy bear is there for me. By the way, the teddy bear, in my imagination, listen carefully, is always really, really happy 
to see me because that's how I imagine my teddy bear to be. My teddy bear would never question my actions. My teddy bear would never stand up for itself. My teddy bear would never be independent in any way, listen carefully, because independence is a mark of separation. And there's no separation between me and my teddy bear. Is everybody following what I'm saying? When you take a child or a spouse and you imagine that of the child or spouse, and then the child or spouse does something or says something that is indicative of their own personhood or their independence to a controlling person that is very hurtful. In fact, I've counseled people, married people, who think that they should be able to read one another's minds. Well, Pastor Mark, I've been married to her for, <clears throat> for 10 years. She should know what I'm thinking. That is an unrealistic expectation. And so when she doesn't know what you're thinking and therefore doesn't respond properly, all of a sudden your teddy bear has offended you and there's a blow up. Or if the person begins to show some level of separateness, okay? Or we might use the word individuality. Now, I'm talking about extreme cases here, but this is more common than you might imagine. So you have concern, you have control. Both of those can be very good and healthy and right things in the right context. But then you have number three, something called conformity. Conformity. This becomes very dangerous because concern that exercises control, if the control gets too crazy, it demands absolute conformity to every single detail. And that's when you begin to take away the individuality of a spouse or the individuality of a child. That's when if you're an employer, you squelch the creativity of your employees, when you demand that they simply conform to a certain thing that you have envisioned, you take away any possibility of something new coming in, and you do that, frankly, because you're a very insecure person. You're very insecure. Individuality, someone being different from me on even the slightest point would mean that there's a problem when there isn't. Now you say, Pastor Monty, why would you talk about this? Well, because there's a tendency sometimes for people who are way too controlling to graduate, they graduate from concern to control, and they demand absolute conformity, and when that conformity doesn't come, it creates incredible problems in a relationship. Now again, control is good. If you're a teacher, you have to control your classroom. A society needs control, relationships. There all needs to be some fences there. And conformity to reasonable norms is also good because it allows us to have reasonable expectations about society. But when it gets out of control, people feel imprisoned. Pastor Mani, is there a New Testament precept that talks about this? There sure is. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. The Bible says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. It is possible for me to make my kids mad unnecessarily. That's precisely what the Bible says. It's possible. It's possible for me to poke, to pick, to control, to dictate to the point where they become frustrated as individuals, especially as they're growing, and I provoke them to wrath. Where you say, Pastor, what does that happen? Well, you see it all the time. 
kids are under maybe a really tight control. And I'm not criticizing anyone's way of running your home, but you should think about this. Kids are under really, really tight control. And finally, they bust loose out of that control. And they go when they're grown up. And they grow, go completely haywire, sometimes even denying the faith. Now, as uncomfortable as that makes it for we parents, as uncomfortable as that sounds, we should consider the question, did we do something that provoked the child to wrath? Something unnecessary, something that, that, that was maybe more opinion-based or preference-based. Did we provoke the child to wrath? So the Bible says this, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but, and here is the alternative, here's the good view, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now listen carefully. There is a difference between leading and controlling. That's a really important thing. So, so gentlemen, let me say this. I am very um, patriarchal. What? Yep, patriarchal. I believe the man is the head of the home because the Bible says so, okay? That's just, that, that's, it's right out there. I threw the word out there because it's a good word, even though in society it's a highly criticized word. However, if leading degenerates, and this is what's really important to know, if leading degenerates into minuscule control that is not leadership, by the way, it's not love, Gentlemen, your, your wife isn't a small idiot child that you need to dictate things to. She's the helpmeet that God gave you to because you needed her because God said it's not good for a man to be alone. It's a disaster. You, the, she's that helpmeet, okay? But if you control to the point of being draconian, at that point, you could provoke to wrath. And the difference is this, listen carefully, leaders, watch this folks, leaders have voluntary followers. Now, there's often obligations, okay? You're, you're voluntary followers at Faith Baptist Church. You're here, I'm the pastor, you're voluntary followers. But I'm obligated to you because I have to do what my job is to do and you have to do as a Christian what your job is to do in the church. Within the home, it's a more formal arrangement because there's a marriage license, okay, within the home. It's a more formal arrangement, but listen carefully, leadership is still voluntary, or pardon me, fellowship is still voluntary. So, well, Pastor Monty, well, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna crack the whip and get the whole family under control. I had a man come to me, my very first pastorate in North Carolina, and um, his, uh, his wife, they were different sort of people. They were older people. Um, they were different. They were country people. And uh, he came to me one time and he said, Pastor said, my wife's gotten a little out of line. I had to use the belt on her. What an idiot. What an idiot. By the way, I was just a young kid. And I said, that was being an idiot. Is it any wonder you're struggling in your... That's not a marriage, folks. That's, by the way, that's called abuse, just in case you want to write that word down. That's, called, that's ridiculous. That's called abuse. But, but follow me. In loving Christian marriage, while the man is the leader, because of his love, his wife delights in following his leadership. Why? Because his leadership provides love. 
His leadership provides security. His leadership leads toward Jesus, not away from Jesus. His leadership is reasonable. His leadership is rational. His leadership, might I be so radical as to suggest, his leadership is New Testament. There is a huge difference between being a leader in your home and being a controlling dictator. And if you feel, well, Pastor Monty, I'm so glad you said the man is the head of the home because I'm gonna go home and beat my chest like Tarzan and scream real loud and demand that Jane fix me dinner. You, sir, are an idiot. Loving leadership is manifest in following, okay? By the way, the same the thing I'm saying for husbands and wives is true also for children, and that is highlighted in Ephesians 6, verse 4. Okay, we have to discipline our kids. We have to keep them in line. I understand all of that. Had, had plenty of kids in the house. I understand all of that. But at the same time, that should not result in a deep-seated, malignant, that's a great word. We'll use that a lot tonight. Malignant resentment of the parents because of an overarching dictatorship that the children felt that they were subjected to. I wanna ask you a question, because this is a hard thing to preach on, because I don't want you to get the wrong idea, I want you to get the right idea, and I don't want you to go out the door saying that Monty said this, blah, 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 blah. But think about this. Does everyone see in these preliminary thoughts the word balance? Do you see the word balance? Now, why did I read the passage about Saul being changed into another man? Because this type of thing is possible even in Christian circles. Now, I'm not claiming Paul, or pardon me, Saul was a Christian. I, I'm not sure about that. I go back and forth on that, okay? And if you can show me afterwards, I'd love you to answer the question. I go back and forth. But we know this, he was a religious man. We know this, there was a time in his life when the Spirit of God came upon him to accomplish the leadership of the nation. And sometimes in, we're conservatives, we're all conservatives here, sometimes in conservative circles, there can be a sense of, and this is never intended, but sometimes it happens, there can be a sense where people think that the best method of marriage and the best method of child rearing is draconian control down to the last detail. And I would submit to you that as a parent, as a husband, but we're using the parent example, that you be very, very careful in that because the Bible says it's possible for a father to provoke his children to wrath. The Bible also says it's possible for a man to provoke her wife, his wife and to give her trouble. Well, you say, Pastor Martin, I'm, I'm just gonna be the leader and everyone has to do what I say. Maybe part of the problem is in the attitude. It goes deeper than that. So this can happen to religious people. I'm not going to get to chapter 15. I'll get there next time. But let me just say this. I'm going to read for you something I distilled from various sources that are the, the marks, what are considered the marks of a controlling person. Because everyone could have that tendency, some of us perhaps more than others. But here are the marks of a controlling person. And we'll see all of this in the life of Saul. Blaming and criticism. They blame others and they're overly critical. We'll see that in the life of Paul, of Saul, pardon me. Isolation and intimidation. 
when you try to isolate people from other people or from their loved ones or use intimidation tactics. That's a mark of someone who is controlling. Unpredictability. They can be unpredictable, keeping others guessing and focused on them. I don't like unpredictable people. I don't get along with them. Okay, you should be essentially the same person you always are. I I understand there's exceptions to what I'm saying. But you should be the same person. I should be able to depend on, hey, that person's going to be happy. That person's going to be in a good, I'm just in a grumpy mood. And and one minute you're grumpy, the next minute you're jubilant. Okay, that's called bipolar. Unpredictability. Another, another uh, distilling from all different sources. Another is this, when people deny or gaslight. I will get into that in the life of, of Saul. When people have, obviously, the desire to maintain control over others and situations, and often fueled by insecurity. I'm going to tell you something. You said, Pastor Monty, the guy who's in control, he's the strong man. No, no, he's the weak guy. He's the weak guy. He's the weak guy who always has to flex his muscles just to make sure people know he has a couple of them. He's the weak guy who always has to make sure everything is perfectly in line because somebody might criticize. He's, he's, he's the guy that, that has to have everything just the way he wants it to be. That, to me, is a mark of weakness. And then the last one I'll mention tonight is this. He has a disregard for boundaries, okay? Um, controlling people disrespect privacy and boundaries, and they want to control every aspect of another person's life. And I want you to listen carefully. I am not talking about healthy boundaries set for children in parenting. Did you understand what I just said? Well, Pastor Pastor Monty said just let them all be free-range chickens. I didn't say that. But nor did I say that it is wise or biblical to dictate and control every detail. Husbands, and the reason I'm dealing with the men tonight is men have more of a, a propensity toward control. Husbands, It's not good to control every minutia of your wife's existence. Honey, come come out of the bedroom. I want to see what you're wearing so I can approve of it. That's crazy. That's insanity. Honey, well, let me write down the whole list of what we're going to have for uh, dinner every night this week so I can approve of it. You're a weirdo. I'm, I'm sorry, you spent money and now your name calling. Yep, yep, you got it. But that's weird, okay? That's weird. When, when you treat your wife like a two-year-old, that's weird. And, and by the way, it's not Christian, and it's not leadership, and it's, 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 it's sickening, and it's entirely damaging to the marriage relationship. Well, well Pastor Monty, what is the balance? I lovingly lead. Well, Pastor, what if, what if your wife wants something? She makes an appeal to me or asks me about it, and 99% of the time I say yes. Or she just goes on Amazon and orders it. <laughs> Pay the bill when it comes and keep my mouth shut. <laughs> wise course of action, gentlemen, wise course of action. Um, I'm suggesting there's balance here, but the burden of the messages I'm going to bring from the life, so I'll just a couple more probably, The burden of that is this, extreme control, listen carefully, ultimately will alienate people from you. It will alienate people from you. Okay, I've seen this in regard to parents and children, and I've seen this in regard to spouses. 
And sometimes a spouse will live under that level of control for many, many years until finally it just blows up. I want to tell you something, folks. The Bible way is the best way. What is that? Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up. That's called leadership. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. By the way, not expecting perfection out of them, because you're not perfect. Not expecting perfection. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Well, Pastor Marty, I'm the leader, I'm the head. Do you love her like Christ loved the church? Are you part of the church? Look at me. Are you? Are you perfect? No. Does Jesus love you anyway? Yes. Love, listen to me, love loves someone in their imperfections as well as their perfections. That's what real love does. And when love, well, Pastor Monty, I just have to dictate everything or nothing will go right. Okay, when you do that, you do not create a loving relationship, you create a master-slave relationship. And that is unbiblical, that is not right, and it's something we should avoid. Oh, Pastor, why, why all of this? I know this got scattered tonight because I, I don't have followed my outline. Why all of this? Because balance here is the key. The motivation is love. And when you do what you do out of love, you might not be perfect in all your decisions, but when you do what you do out of love, relationships are built and strengthened. When you do what you do out of control because you're insecure and everything has to be a certain way because it makes you nervous if it's not, that's such insecurity. When you do what you do out of insecurity, that always fractures the relationship. Maybe it doesn't blow it apart, but little hairline fractures develop, and that can be hugely problematic. Preacher, what's the answer? Biblical balance, and all of our relationships, listen carefully, bathed in the love of Christ. Father, I pray you'll help us with some thoughts tonight. Lord, as we will in coming weeks, look at the life of Saul. We'll look at some things that were really problematic that demonstrate his propensity that grew over time to control and then alienated the best relationships he had. I pray, Father, you'll give us wisdom about this, and Lord, we will fully depend on the Holy Spirit to apply this in any way necessary to our own lives. But help us, Lord, before we look at someone else, to look at ourselves first. In Jesus' name we pray. Stand with me,